Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Busy program coming up today. We're going to talk markets. We'll talk uh, grain markets with Todd Holtman, DTN's lead analyst. We'll talk the uh, hog market with Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. We'll look at both sides of this selling and when prices are high, and if you're on the uh, livestock side, buying when prices are high. We'll talk about all that. And Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, will be joining us as well to uh, talk about some recommendations the ag community is making to the administration when it comes to carbon banks, and also some reaction to the Biden administration's Buy American plan. So Chuck Connor will join us a little bit later on in the program. Well, speaking of the Biden administration's and high-ranking officials uh, of that administration, visited Iowa yesterday to take a look, among other things, uh, the ethanol industry there. And joining us now is Mike Jerky. He is president of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association and CEO of the Southwest Iowa Renewable Energy uh, Production Plant. And uh, Mike, I thank you for joining us. It must have been a big day yesterday to have the EPA administrator in your state and chance to talk uh, biofuels with him. Well, it, uh, it certainly was a big day for us, Mike, and, and thanks for having me. I mean, it, it's uh, it's significant and, and notable that um, really the administrator's, uh, administrator's first uh, travel event outside of uh, D.C. Uh, was to Iowa, and I think uh, importantly, uh, having him accompanied by uh, Secretary uh, Vilsack um, was ma- made for, for a good event and a good engagement with uh, the farmers and uh, ag industry representatives. Yeah, a chance for Secretary Vilsack uh, to be back in his home state and uh, kind of have a chance to sit down and, and talk with officials like yourself, representatives of the biofuels industry. Now, Mike, as you well know, um, experience, history tells you government officials can come to your state and, and talk issues and say the right things and uh, you come away feeling good and sometimes the action that follows isn't what you hope for. We saw, we've seen a lot of that in, in recent years. Uh, but what are, you, what are your thoughts on this particular trip and the conversation that were had yesterday? Uh, do you come away with maybe a different feeling that maybe things are different now with this EPA when it comes to biofuels? Well, I think, you know, highlighting again the fact that uh, Administrator Regan and, and Secretary Vilsack were together. And then in Iowa and then specifically touring an ethanol plant and, and visiting with the farm community is, is important. And, and um, you know, as we listen to the administrator talk about his background and his experience, uh, it, it clearly is impactful to him uh, what the ethanol industry is doing specifically to provide clean air, uh, uh, fuel, uh, cleaner fuel, uh, tailpipe emissions and the impact to uh, communities, um, that was very, very much a, a, uh, a hot topic uh, for him. And then we talked about innovation. We talked about, you know, the way this industry was built 
with farmers and and farmers uh, value adding uh, and and uh, building this industry up and continuing that uh, whole proposition. You know this whole notion that uh, they're the advanced uh, biofuels. Uh, you know we we have this uh, moniker that goes around, but but in in truth, and Administrator Regan uh, certainly was receptive and and. Uh, uh, engaging on the topic, in truth, ethanol industry is constantly evolving and advancing. And, uh, you know, we talked about the importance of, of science and, and uh, using uh, bona fide models when we're comparing uh, the transportation uh, sector and uh, the benefits from different modes of transportation, a, a true life cycle analysis, uh, you know, if we're talking about EVs and, and so forth. So, um, you know, I, I do. I come away optimistic. Um, we, you're right. We have to be cautiously so because we, we do know what the very recent history has pointed to. But in terms of uh, the way the event came off, the importance they have put on engaging immediately with our community, the agriculture community, um, cautiously optimistic is, is certainly how uh, I walked away and, and, uh, and hopeful uh, for, for the uh, relationship that we'll have going forward. We're talking with Mike Jerky, president of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association and CEO of Southwest Iowa Renewable Energy. Mike, it was your chance then to impress upon him, uh, Administrator Regan, that in these climate goals that are being set by the Biden administration and with all the talk about electric vehicles, that the biofuels industry can help deliver on these goals right now. It's not an industry that has to be built out. It's already here and ready to go. Oh, you bet. And we impressed uh, him, uh, that point to him over and over again. And, and uh, you know, I had the ability to, to hit that topic, as did others. Um, and and uh, because it is a fact, uh, we're right there. You know, the ethanol industry uh, has a pathway and has for some time to a net zero carbon um, and uh, an important uh, seat at that table. So, you know, very, you know, we, we had a lot of buzz about uh, EVs and certainly uh, an all-above approach in terms of solutions to carbon uh, needs to be considered, but we need to do that in a, in a scientific and, and uh, fair-minded way. Uh, and, you know, Secretary Vilsack's right there with us. Uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, this is his second uh, uh, turn at that position and uh, knows full well uh, the benefits that are brought by our industry and the challenges that the relationship between USDA and EPA can uh, present. Uh, I really sensed uh, some uh, some uh, collegiality and camaraderie between the two uh, gentlemen that uh, I think bodes well uh, for, for all of us in ag. Right, and we know Secretary Vilsack has long been a champion of, of biofuels. And quickly, Mike, uh, did the Administrator Regan indicate to you when you'll get the RVO levels? Uh, we're still waiting for those uh, uh, from last year, let alone this year. Uh, exactly, um, and that was a point we made as well. This, this needs to be spun out and spun out quickly. Um, he acknowledged that was the case, uh, you know, and, and made direct reference to uh, sort of the workload that uh, his administration uh, was left with. Um, but no firm timelines, Mike, uh, just a commitment and a recognition that that needs to be addressed. We need certainty in this marketplace. All right. Well, Mike, uh, 
what a great day it was. Uh, congratulations on uh, uh, getting that message across to Administrator Regan, and uh, appreciate your time and sharing some of that experience with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Mike Jerky, he's CEO of Southwest Iowa Renewable Energy and president of the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. He had a chance to talk yesterday with EPA Administrator Mike Regan, who uh, was in Iowa, Michael Regan, along with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, and a very important visit for the biofuels industry to be able to get its message across uh, to especially Michael Regan as they look to set up a uh, good working relationship moving forward, something that's not always been the case, needless to say. Uh, would be an understatement to say that it's not always been the case with EPA and the biofuels industry in the past. All right, up next, we're going to take a look at the hog market. What's going on in the pork industry and what's the outlook? Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture, joins us next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanting.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. Did you know that biodiesel reduces carbon emissions by 74% on average? It's the best option available today for states and cities across America looking to immediately cut carbon emissions. It's an important contribution from America's farmers to meeting the nation's carbon reduction goals right now. That's why we say biodiesel is better, cleaner now. Learn more by visiting bettercleanernow.com, brought to you by the National Biodiesel Board in partnership with soybean farmers and their checkoff program. Step right up and gaze upon this miraculous substance I hold in the palm of my hands. This little miracle can feed us, clothe us, give us clean, fresh water, and provide wildlife habitat for nature's critters. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Learn more about soil health principles that can turn your soil into a star performer. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, 
changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Grain markets are making headlines for sure, but wanted to take a look today on the livestock side. We'll start with the hog market today. Steve Meyer is with us, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. Steve, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's been a wild ride, hasn't it? Well, it's been a wild ride, but this is a good kind of wild ride, Mike. Uh, yeah. We've had some of those terrifying ones as well, but this one is a little uh, a little more manageable and one that, uh, well, I'm not sure it's manageable, but it's certainly a lot more fun than one that's... Uh, going down the hill fast well when we look at uh, hog prices uh, and i guess overall we look at demand we look at exports we look at domestic demand uh some strong numbers there very strong numbers uh we'll get um, usda's estimates of carcass weight exports for march today uh, and that's the last piece of information to do our calculations to determine what u.s domestic demand was but it looks like that number is going to come in very strong uh, we were up 6.2% through February on real per capita expenditures, which is a measure of U.S. domestic demand. And we ended up the year last year up 2% in spite of all the coronavirus problems. And so uh, this has just been a demand-driven market all year, in my opinion. If we look at supplies, you know, we're actually slaughtering more pigs than what we expected to have uh, out of the March Hogs and Pigs report. That, that report, of course, was bullish. It said that we didn't have as many pigs as what we really anticipated, but we've uh, we've been about 1.2% above my, my numbers and about 1.6% above USDA's numbers so far. So um, I, I can't characterize this as a shortage of pigs. Every week that we've slaughtered this year has been the largest uh, on record for that week when you don't have a, a holiday involved. And so uh, we've got more pigs than we've ever had, but yet um, uh, we have prices that are just uh, gone through the roof and with cash prices at 120 on the spot market anyway, on the, on the 120, uh, it's a demand-driven market. Exports are part of that. Um, exports are down for the year, but not nearly as much as what we expected. And in fact, March exports, we got the product weight data yesterday, were up from a year ago and we're 27% larger than in February. And so, uh, and, and the prospects on that, I think, are very good. Uh, the China situation has gotten worse as far as their African swine fever situation since the first of the year, and some reports from on the ground there say that they may have lost a quarter of their sows again. And uh, if that's the case, they're going to be back in this market, and instead of a big surge at the beginning of the year last year, uh, we're more likely to have a stronger surge in the second half of 2021. So the demand picture remains pretty darn strong, and that's what's been driving this thing so far. And, um, you know, and our weekly slaughters are going to go down seasonally between now and July before they start turning back around. So, um, you know, uh, those that say, well, this is a tight supply thing, well, I would say it's a tight supply thing only because demand is as strong as it is. 
it's a it's a good situation to have you're right to have demand that strong and and that be driving the prices we're talking with steve meyer economist for partners for production agriculture and steve good thing that uh, pork producers have those higher prices because you certainly have higher input costs higher feed costs yeah we do and that doesn't seem to be a short-term deal either mike uh, our concern on this right now is that even a good crop in the United States isn't going to take this thing back down anywhere where we've been in the past. I mean, this is a world-driven uh, situation. Chinese corn demand is exceptionally strong. Chinese soybean demand is always strong, of course. Uh, so, um, you know, their corn demand, though, has been tremendous this year, and they're trying to rebuild some, some inventory, uh, some uh, reserve stocks. Uh, they did have the recovery in their swine uh, sector, but I think that has slowed some. But uh, a higher percentage of the Chinese industry now uses commercial diets as opposed to feeding garbage uh, like they did at one time. And so there's been a major change on where the feed has to come from in China. And so this world situation on grains is not going to get rectified by a good U.S. crop in in we have the negative impact of uh, the Brazilian safrina crop that doesn't look good right now. It got planted late. That puts it into dry weather for pollination. And so um, it's very possible that that crop is going to be short, and that is generally an export crop. So um, I don't think we're going to solve this by a really good U.S. crop. Now, we planted a slug of corn and beans last week, and we'll plant a bunch more this week. We've got a little rain in some areas. But our real concern is when you look at the drought monitor map and, uh, you know, the west half of the United States is in pretty severe drought conditions. That spills over into North Dakota and South Dakota, which were two of the states where we got some extra acres for corn in the, in the planting intentions report. And then some dryness even across northern Iowa, southern Minnesota, over into Wisconsin. And so uh, we're pretty concerned about weather going forward. And um that, yeah, you know, $120 cash hogs, $110 or $12, $14 futures, um, you know, that's still going to be nice profit margins, but uh, you've got you've got average cost of returns above $80 now, and uh, and those could go up uh, if, if things don't go right. So you're right. It's nice to have good hog prices. Boy, if we didn't have good hog prices, this grain situation would be very, very difficult. We've already seen some purchases of South American uh, uh, beans. Is that, and we know that's from the East Coast mostly, is that for poultry or is that also for some hog operations? It'll go, it'll go to whoever wants it out there. I mean, uh, some of the purchases were made by Purdue, uh, so that will probably all go to their, their, their birds. But uh, normally we get some beans imported into Wilmington that goes generally to the turkey chicken hog industry in north carolina and surrounding states so uh it's it's not necessarily specific to chicken i think the purchases so far have been but we'll see some of that find its way into into hog hog farms in in that area and it really doesn't matter where it finds itself mike if it supplants some u.s soybean meal in the east coast that that helps everybody else some uh slaughter plants which we talked so much about last uh, last year um, up and going again, pretty much uh, at full capacity or near it. Uh, but there's talk about and this uh, debate over line speeds. How do you see that playing out? Well, it, it's going to cause some problems, but probably not until the fall. 
um, there were six plants that were run, that that had either been cleared to run at higher rates or were actually running at higher rates. One of those, uh, the Smithfield plant in California, was not running at higher chain speeds. The other five were. And so those have to set back their speeds as of July 1, according to the, the ruling handed down by the Minnesota judge so far. Uh, we saw that Smithfield filed a, a lawsuit trying to get an injunction on that for, uh, yes, they filed it, I think, just this week. Uh, and so that's pending. But those five plants would have to back down to 11.06 per hour. And that's going to take about 85000 a week out of the amount of hogs that we can kill, which is about 3%. Um, that, that's, that could be a problem come fall. I mean, we were going to be okay with 2.768 million per 5.4 day week. Uh, but if we have to drop back to 2.8, uh, 2.68 or something like that, 2.685, then that's going to get pretty tight in about seven or eight weeks in the fall. And, and, you know, normally I wouldn't be too worried about that because I'd say, well, we'll pick it up on some battery shifts. I mean, 85,000 is not that hard to pick up. But this labor situation is uh, telling us that Saturday shifts aren't just, aren't just guaranteed. I mean, uh, you know, workers uh, more and more are not real amenable to Saturday work. Now, one point to make is they're not going to get much Saturday work for sure from now until then because there just aren't enough odds to, to push many over to Saturday. So they might be in the mood for some overtime pay, especially around the holidays. So it might not might be a little more workable, but. Uh, it's going to get a little tight. And then if we have any growth in productivity that, that Jack, which I think we will, we've kind of uh, by, by decision limited our productivity in the last year and a half. Um, I think we get productivity growth on this sow herd. Uh, you could get more pigs next year and that 85,000 might become pretty important. So um, this is a longer term thing. Um, you know, I do not know if the data support the judge's opinion about worker safety. We have 20 years worth of data on some of these plants, though, so there ought to be plenty of data there. And so I, I do not know if the, the, the data support his decision or not, but uh, it's the decision for the time being, and uh, we've probably got to prepare to live with it. All right. So, Steve, um, we've <laughs> it's been quite – I started off saying it's been a wild ride. You think where we were a year ago and going through 2020 uh, and this situation has been amazing. Uh, always appreciate yeah, Mike, the update. Uh, slaughter last week was 58% larger than a year ago, Mike. <laughs> wow. We need to remember where we've been. That's all right. Good perspective. Thanks, Steve. Good to talk with you. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. S- Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. Well, how high are these grain markets going? We're going to talk with Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. We'll get his thoughts next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. It's been our legacy year after year and we're proud of our heritage. At FS, our focus has been on improving growers' profitability by developing leading products and services to advance operations. Year after year, we've been committed to pointing the way forward. So visit fssystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. 
Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Minneapolis wheat continues to be stimulated by cold, dry weather. 83% of North Dakota is in extreme drought, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor, managed by the University of Nebraska. There have been no daily sales announced this week. Chinese traders are due back from their Labor Day holiday tomorrow. On the Board of Trade, July corn trading a penny lower at 6.95 and three quarters. The September contract up eight cents. At 6.18 for soybeans, the August contract up five and a half cent at 14.87 and a half cent. The July contract up five and a half cent at 15.43 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat July trading eight and a half cent higher at 7.35 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat July up nine cents at 7.08 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat July trading eight cents higher at 7.76 and a fraction. The September contract up seven and a fraction at seven. 79 and a fraction. For livestock, there will likely be follow-through pressure in cattle futures due to renewed liquidation Tuesday. Grain futures continue to increase. Pork is in demand with packers remaining aggressive. On the Board of Trade, June lean hogs trading 55 cents lower at 113.02. The May contract down 2 cents at 111.15. For feeder cattle, the August contract down 17 at 143.02. The September contract down 2 cents at 145.57. For live cattle, the June contract up 62 cents at 113.65. The August contract up 40 at 117.02. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 48 points. The Nasdaq composite up 8. The S&P 500 up 2. Crude oil in New York, the June contract up 73 cents at 66.42 per barrel. The U.S. dollar index is trending higher. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rall. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk grain markets with DTN's lead analyst, Todd Holtman. Todd, 
I can't imagine how many times you have been asked, how high could these markets go? <laughs> That's kind of the question about everyone has, right? Yeah. You know, and it, it, let, let's face it, it, as good as these markets are for producers to see uh, these price opportunities, it's a different kind of stress. And uh, uh, part of the stress here is nobody wants to leave a lot on the table. Uh, everybody wants the top price, of course. And every, as you say, everybody wants to know when's this thing going to turn. And that is just, it, it, it's the most difficult thing uh, an analyst can try to do, or anyone really can try to do, is pick the top of a market like this. There's so many bullish factors at play. Uh, it's, it's squeezed everybody out uh, on the short side. And uh, just when you think it's gone maybe high enough, you get another surge higher. And, of course, our most recent surge in corn has been coming from Brazil's weather. Yeah, their weather and even our weather, right? I mean, in a year where every acre, every bushel is is so important, so critical, you've got a good piece of um, of the production area, you know, it that has some level of weather concern, especially dry weather. And those acres that, you know, even parts of Iowa have some concerns. And then you look at the Dakotas and into parts of like southern Minnesota and, and through there, you start adding all that up. And, and, and in this kind of a market, it makes a difference. Yes, you're absolutely right. And of course, uh, the good news is uh, in the past week or so, we've seen remarkably fast planting progress. Uh, it's a little easier to plant in those dry soils and uh, move through those fields. But as you say, that crop is going to need moisture, and that's a big question for us here, especially in the northwestern Corn Belt, uh, where uh, the, the, the challenge is uh, steep. So that, when you're trying to predict where these prices are going to go, it seems like we're always somewhat susceptible to a weather market, right? Because at any given year, there, there are going to be some production problems somewhere. But it's when you're going into it this tight already, and given what's happening in, in South America, that makes the prospects of a, of a wild weather market sometime this summer even more possible, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and that's just the real difference here. It's, uh, typically this time of year, it, we might be talking about a weather scenario, especially as we get more into May. But uh, oftentimes you're resting on a 2 billion bushel surplus or so. So you've got plenty of margin uh, to take a little hit here or there. This year, uh, I, I contend our ending stocks of corn are probably uh, below the billion bushel mark uh, for the current season which is uh, less than USDA saying so far, but I think is, is being backed up by a lot of the demand indicators and just the uh, widespread rich prices we're seeing throughout the country uh, on, on the cash board. So uh, when <laughs> we've talked for a long time about how tight the corn and soybeans situation is this year, and then you would always ask me, and then what about weather? And so <laughs> mm -hmm. you're, you're taking, uh, you know, a, a, cake that's very bullish already and just adding more bullish layers to it with brazil and then potentially the u.s because even in a lot of the uh the heart of the production area uh where moisture has been okay so far and in fact the crop has gone gone in very well in many places it looks very good early on 
but we know that it's not like there's a huge surplus in a lot of those areas of moisture, right? I mean, it, it's pretty good right now, and the shower's been coming for many areas in pretty good shape, but that can change in a hurry. We can think of other years in the past that things got off to a pretty good start, and then that's when the, the big problems hit later on. Not predicting that, not hoping that, but just saying history tells us that could be the case. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, you're right on the mark. Uh, in, uh, you know, it, basically, it was a fairly dry fall and winter period that we've experienced. We did have some bouts of beneficial moisture in the western plains uh, here and there in uh, as we got closer to spring, and that's helped out. Uh, but the, the western edge of the western plains still remains a big concern for the hard red winter wheat crop. The spring wheat area is really facing uh, serious concerns. North Dakota, uh, I, I heard uh, your uh, little news bit shortly before we came on here, and they uh, repeated that uh, 83% of topsoil moisture in North Dakota is less than adequate. And uh, But it, even, as you say, in the, the southeastern South Dakota, the Nebraska, Iowa region, southern Minnesota, those are all on the verge. They're going to need timely rains, and that's a very difficult thing to project uh, very far into the future. So uh, you're right. Uh, we're riding a very tight line here. We're talking with DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman. So, Todd, getting back to the marketing, uh, obviously you can't ignore the prices that we have right now, much better than farmers ever thought they would have the opportunity to, to lock in. But with that thought that they could go even higher, uh, I'm guessing you're talking, you're preaching flexibility and some caution, uh, but uh, don't overlook opportunities that are right here, right now. Yes, absolutely. And when it comes to new crop, if you're a producer in a drier area, of course, one of your concerns is you don't want to extend your forward cash sales too far because you don't want to commit to production that you can't be sure about. For But for most people can talk about uh, committing 25 to 50 percent of the new crop uh, corn production uh, to forward cash sales uh, in this scenario. And boy, you have to strongly consider when you see December corn prices very close to six dollars uh, a bushel, even given all the bullish factors uh, that we have at the moment. If, if nothing else, you know, make yourself a plan so that you scale up and take advantage of the prices you want. Uh, but to to just kind of hope and pray that you'll receive some great revelation when the top is here, that's not usually the best plan. And on the subject of market volatility, Todd, explain to us about the expanded trading limits. Now, we kind of think in this environment we're in now that, hey, that's great. I mean, that can go even higher, but it also always opens the door, right, for the uh, for it to go the other way. When you expand those limits, things can go <laughs> either way, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So corn used to be 25 cents. Now it's a 40-cent limit. Soybeans are a dollar limit, and the winter wheats are 45 cents. So uh, you're right. Typically, in the old days, uh, when I was a broker, the exchange would just kind of ratchet up those limits as prices got higher and the market got more volatile. Now they've got more of a formula method, and uh, so as of just last Sunday evening, they came out with these expanded limits. They're supposed to last until November at these higher levels. So you take those higher price limits, 
and you take the very large participation of non-commercials or speculators in the market we have and uh, this kind of bullish one-way street of trading that we've seen all through April and now we're extending into May. And you've got the mix for a very volatile recipe here. And so uh, don't, uh, don't think we won't see some fireworks this summer. Mm-hmm. And we have to wait till the end of June to get the next acres report. Uh, so in the meantime, is it just weather and, and demand we're, we're watching closely? Yeah, yes, for the most part. There's a lot of attention on Brazil right now, of course, and that's feeding uh, the bulls at the moment. As we get more into uh, getting that U.S. crop planted, then we're going to want to see that emerge, and we're going to want to see moisture in key areas. So we're going to transition to keeping a close track on that uh, very quickly. But as you say, we the big important reports, June 30th, not only the acres, uh, which there's a little bit of anxiety about. Do we have enough corn and bean acres being planted this year? But also we're going to get uh, a grain stocks report of just exactly where do these corn and soybean supply mm-hmm. uh, stand on June 1st. And to me, that's very important. I, I'd really like to see USDA get that to be a monthly report, especially when things yeah. are as tight and the markets are as nervous as they are. I mean, we're in such a topsy-turvy world right now with these markets. We're usually not big rooters for South America to have big crops. <laughs> That's We're not big fans of that because of the competition. But you have made the case before that in now, in this situation, we need them to have good crops right now, don't we? Yeah, we really do. Uh, we're seeing high prices here on our board. If you go to Brazil and look at their board, their new crop corn prices are hitting new highs for the year. Not only that, their their soybean price for the month of June is hitting a new or very close to a new high for the year, I should say. And that's just shortly after having harvested a record crop. So as far as I can tell, China's demand for soybeans uh, and corn is not letting up uh, one bit here. China's been out of the markets for the past few days on holiday. They'll return tomorrow, and it'll be interesting to see uh, their prices probably adjust to uh, what's happened to our U.S. markets here this week. Wild times indeed. Todd, thanks for helping us kind of sort through this, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you very much. Very good. Thank you, Mike. Todd Holtman, DTN's lead analyst. All right, up next, uh, ag groups and a coalition are saying to USDA um, some rec- giving them some recommendations on how to deal with these uh, carbon markets and developing carbon markets and some recommendations. We'll get into that. Also, the Biden administration uh, pushing a Buy American plan. We'll get some thoughts on that, too, from Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. That's next, right here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see 
became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, the date of April 27th had been circled on a lot of calendars for some time now. That was the day for the big Supreme Court hearing on the waiver issue for the renewable fuel standard. Well, we had an interesting session before the Supreme Court as justices had some hard questions, a hard line of questioning for both sides, both the refiners and the biofuels industry. Here to talk about it is Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, what was your takeaway? There seemed to be a good understanding that the law is very clear that this exemption was meant to be temporary for small refiners, and the law does not allow EPA to extend exemptions that have lapsed. So, you can't extend something that doesn't exist, and there did seem to be a good recognition and appreciation of that argument. This program was, was always meant to funnel down the number of small refineries that are exempt from these requirements year by year. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. When it comes to the crops you plant, we know that you want to maximize the yield of each seed. In order to do that, you need every plant to emerge on the same day. The problem is, you don't know if this is actually happening. We understand what it's like to be in the cab at harvest, wondering why a field is yielding lower than expected, which is why we're offering you our free emergence flagging kit. Here's how it works. Go to precisionplanting.com forward slash free and request your free emergence flagging kit. We'll send you a kit. 
that includes multiple colored flags, a seed digger, and instructions. The first day your plants start coming up, follow the kit instructions to flag the new emergers each day. You'll gain a much clearer picture of how consistently your plants are emerging. Get your free emergence flagging kit today at precisionplanning.com forward slash free. Don't wait. Kits are limited. That's precisionplanning.com forward slash free for your free emergence flagging kit. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The Food and Agriculture Climate Alliance, a broad coalition of farm and conservation groups, recommending a USDA-run carbon bank should be used to test uh, ways to establish carbon accounting guidelines. Let's talk about it with Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Chuck, thanks for joining us. Let's talk about these recommendation, recommendations. What do, you, what do you want to see from USDA as we go into this world of carbon banks and carbon markets? Well, Mike, first and, and foremost, it's important to put USDA at the helm of this. You know, if we're talking about something that we want to be farmer friendly, good for the farmer, you know, you're not going to want that being uh, regulations and rules and standards coming out of like EPA or another government agency. USDA is the place that was clear part of our recommendations that uh, that that's fundamental, we believe, to the success of any kind of carbon compensation that may be coming down the road in the future. When you talk about pilot projects, what do you want? How would those look? How would those work? Well, you know, we 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 talk about pilot projects, Mike. That may not be the you know the best way to describe them. You know, we we just want this compensation for carbon. You know, we that's been around for a while. It's been tested in the past, and frankly, had some 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 failures. And we don't want to see that happen again. We think farmers, you know. Farmers grow plants, they grow trees, they do all these things that remove carbon from the atmosphere and store it in the soil. And that's what every scientist says we need to happen more of in order to have you know, climate-friendly policies. So who better than farmers to do that? We think there's you know, a compensation opportunity, but, it, but it's, it's not gone well in the past. We want to take it slow. And so, you know, call it field trials. Maybe that's a better way, you know, a term we understand in agriculture versus pilot projects. We need some field trials out there on carbon, on compensation, on standards run by USDA in a farmer-friendly way. And, and we think, you know, down the road, not, you know, this is not next month, but down the road, there's going to be an opportunity here for, for farmers to, to be paid for, for removing carbon from the atmosphere and storing it in the soil, just like plants do. Chuck, you already have some uh, agribusinesses out there offering some form of, uh, of carbon program uh, to their customers. Uh, 
Are you concerned this kind of goes off in a lot of different directions and doesn't have coordination? Well, clearly, Mike, we do not want anything, you know, from USDA to interfere with uh, good work that may be coming out of the private sector and down the road. And as you say, a number of uh, companies and folks and entities are interested in this USDA. You know, we, we don't want a government carbon market. Uh, that, that doesn't work very well in, you know, any kind of production. This is no different than that. But obviously, the government has a role to play in terms of standards, in terms of testing out there, you know, just like they do, you know, agricultural research on corn yields and, and soybean yields and everything else. You know, th- this is the, the kind of thing that the Department of Agriculture plays a role in a very farm-friendly manner. And, and that's what we see in the future in order to make this a successful program. And again, it's had fits and starts. And I've described it as we've got a mulligan here. We may not get another mulligan, so it's important we get it right this time and and move methodically uh, uh, through the Department of Agriculture to get this right. Chuck, let me ask you this question. I've heard this criticism, and I, I must admit, I've had these questions in my mind uh, when we've gone through this before, and they're still here. It almost sounds like, to some, if you're just listening to this debate about, you know, farmers uh, being able to sell their carbon credits to somebody else, it almost sounds like somebody who's polluting wants to buy credits from farmers who aren't, uh, so so those companies can keep on doing what they were doing, but they get a credit from somebody else. I mean, you see what I mean? I mean, uh, I've never quite understood how that works in the long run. What's the overall net gain? Well, um, it's, it's an important question, Mike, and your concern is shared by many, uh, myself included in the past. And I will just tell you, that's why, you know, at this stage in the process, when I talk about moving methodically, you know, we're not even talking really about carbon bank in terms of, you know, trading credits of kind. We're, you know, we're just talking about mm-hmm. farmers, you know, doing what they do, which is, you know, growing plants, plants capture that carbon. How do we maximize that? And, and in that process, provide a potential income stream to farmers. You know, that's not to say that uh, the circumstance you've described of carbon credit and trading and everything else that is occurring out there may be an offshoot of that. But more importantly, you know, we just need sort of the standards and the measurements and the field trials on, you know, what happens out there across the country, you know, so that people aren't being compensated for something they're not doing and they're not, you know, also being compensated, uh, you know, for, for what they actually right. are doing as well. And that those are just issues that really don't still still have answers. And to have yeah. any kind of successful program, we got to have those answers. Yeah, I understand farmers, uh, you know, getting paid for what they're doing, the practices that to reduce carbon, uh, you know, and, and make good environmental sense. Uh, I understand that part, but it, it's almost like someone else can come in and buy the, <laughs> piggyback off what the farmers are doing and get credit for what the farmers are doing and, and use it in their own business. So I've never quite understood that part of it. Hey, real quick, uh, buy American. The, the administration, how about the federal government buying more American products? You like that, right? We do like that, uh, Mike. And I've said many times as I pre-COVID uh, traveled the countryside, um, speaking with farmers, no issue sparks a more 
stronger response than standing up in front of a group of farmers and saying, you know, U.S. tax dollars today are being used, you know, to buy foreign products that is then being used in, for example, our school lunch program. And that, you know, it's, you can just see, you know, the, the, the sort of starts to start to build over right. them. So, you know, we want to put an end to that. And this looks like a good way, perhaps, to do it, this Buy American program. Chuck, thanks a lot. We'll, we'll get into that more next time we talk. Chuck Connery is president Mike. of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you for joining us here on AOA. Talk to you again tomorrow. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.